Lord's Day 16. But before we do that, I'd like to read with you two brief passages. First from Luke 23 and then from Romans 6. We're considering in particular the death of Jesus and the significance of that death for us. So we're going to read Luke 23, which describes the death of Jesus, verses 39 through 47. 39 through 47. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Amen. Looking then to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, the first 11 verses. Now it's important to note that just before this, Paul has described how Jesus came as the last Adam. The first Adam, his sin was imputed to us, brought us into death. The last Adam delivers us from death, delivers us from the condemnation and guilt of sin. And so then he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that, there would no long, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 16 asks us five questions, but they're very brief. The first is, why did Christ have to suffer death? And the answer is, because God's justice and truth required it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? Well, his burial testifies that he really died. Since Christ has died for me, why do, or died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for sins but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. What further benefit 
do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By His power, our old man is crucified, put to death, and buried with Him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Him. Why does the creed add, He descended into hell? To assure me, during attacks of deepest dread and temptation, that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, back when I worked for the newspaper. I faced a problem that I'm sure many of you in various ways have faced, and that's the problem of being persistently scheduled to work on the Lord's Day. From the perspective of our editors, the issue was simple. Bad things happen every single day, and reporters need to be on duty when those bad things happen so they can report on them. No one really wants to work on the weekends, therefore everyone will share that duty together. That was their position. But it didn't sit right with my conscience. It's hard to make a convincing argument that writing a news story is a work of necessity worthy of breaking the Sabbath. And besides that, most of the time nothing significant happened, which meant that I would be spending the day breaking the Sabbath to do something I could have easily done on Monday. But then I discovered a solution. See, most of our reporters were not in any way religious. But there was one guy, Lee, who was an observant, if somewhat liberal, Jew. Jews celebrate their Sabbath on Saturday. We celebrate our Sabbath on the Lord's Day. So I went to Lee and I said, I have a proposition for you. Every time you're scheduled to work Saturday, you call me, I'll work it for you. Every time I'm scheduled to work on Sunday, I'll call you, you work it for me. See, the editors didn't care. As long as somebody was working, as long as the shift was covered in case somebody or something happened, they were happy. And it worked. All the editor cared about was taken care of, and both Lee and I were able to honor our respective Sabbath convictions. Thing is, that kind of an arrangement requires that someone be willing to take for you that which you are obligated to do. Lee had to work if I was to enjoy a Sabbath rest. I had to work if Lee was to have his Sabbath off of work. Well, there's a bigger, a far bigger obligation that we face, that all people face, that we are desperate to be relieved from. Not work dictated by men and by the schedules of men. But the obligation of justice, the obligation of death, death is the bill that absolutely everyone must pay. Death is the exile that every person absolutely deserves. Death is the pain, the unending, unrelenting, unavoidable suffering 
that every sinful person owes to justice. And we will pay it unless we can get someone else to do it for us. And that's why Jesus came. Lord's Day 16 has a really, in, in dealing, you know, five, five questions. And it deals with all of these little details, but really it's all about the same thing. And that is, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die in this way? Why did he have to suffer all of this? And the answer really is quite simple. God the Son had to suffer unto death. He had to suffer the fullness of death. He had to suffer all of the intricacies and and punishment that death encompasses. If we, the adopted sons and daughters of God, were to know life. And so that's what he did. God the Son suffered death so that God's adopted sons could know life. And the reason he had to suffer death, well, there's at least three of them. And the first is in order to pay the penalty for our sin. Our catechism says Jesus had to go all the way to death because God's justice and truth demand it. There's a famous line, I don't recommend the movie at all, but there's a famous line from a movie where uh, the actor is in the uh, courtroom and he's getting pressed for the testimony that needs to be said and finally he says, you can't handle the truth. Well, this is the truth that men don't want to handle, don't think they can handle. The truth that we all deserve the fullness of death. How insistently our world denies that reality. They proclaim, most people are good. They teach, if you, if you just get rid of all the obstacles, if you just take care of all of the, the environmental afflictions, then they will do the right thing. If you just give them a chance, they'll choose the right thing. But that's a lie. It's an absolute unrelenting lie. People are rebels at heart. Given the opportunity, given the choice, they will act wickedly. They will put themselves ahead of others. They will put themselves even ahead of God. If they think they won't get caught, if they think that it won't cost them, they will do evil and hurtful things. That's the truth. That's our truth. From the very first moment that we were conceived, sin controlled us. Sin rises unsought within our hearts and minds. And it has from the very start, before we could walk, before we could talk, before we could even sit up on our own. We were sinful. We were controlled by it. That's the truth. And justice declares concerning that truth, the wages of sin is death. We can't handle that truth, but neither can we avoid it. Even those who loudly claim that people are inherently good in their hearts know that that's a lie. They know it's a lie because children, right? If you have children, if you have siblings, if you know of children, you know that we don't train them to be bad, right? We don't train them to sin. Nobody does that. And yet, they see that shiny new toy their friend has and as soon as the parent turns away, they grab it. Right? They see somebody doing something that they can't do, they push him over. 
the, the, the caretaker comes to the cries, they lie. They do that naturally. That's what comes natural. And we can't in our hearts deny that reality. And our consciences testify to the same. Deep in the heart of every single person, we know our guilt. Even the most jaded humanist, even the boldest postmodern atheist recognizes we're guilty. We deserve punishment for our sins. Why do you think the atheists argue so loudly, so vehemently that God doesn't exist and that there's no such thing as absolute truth? They wouldn't be so vehement about it if they really believed it. But they're trying to convince themselves because their consciences say, no, you know better. And they know the cost. We all know the cost. The wages of sin is death. Death is the penalty that our sin deserves. Death, which separates us from all that we know and love. Death, which separates us from the blessings and the goodness of God. Death, which involves utter darkness and isolation. Folks flee death and flee the truth about death desperately because they know it's waiting for them. They know it's what they deserve. Why is it that they will do anything, pay anything, to prolong their life just a day longer. It's because they know that they deserve death and that death is unspeakably terrible. They know what that criminal on the cross boldly confessed to his compatriot. We are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And the only way Jesus could free us from that was to go all the way there himself. Jesus alone had never sinned. That's amazing. Never was there a time when he disobeyed even one of God's commands. Never was there an obligation that God laid on man that Jesus didn't fulfill. He was perfectly obedient to his heavenly father in every single respect and detail. And because that's unheard of, men recognized it. The criminal on the cross, he confessed, this man has done nothing wrong. Also the centurion who oversaw his death and had overseen the death of countless other criminals. When he died, looked up and said, certainly this man was innocent. Jesus alone never sinned and therefore deserved to escape death. And yet God the Father sent him to endure precisely what we deserved. He suffered in the body until it was near to failing. But worse, far worse than that. He endured the full weight of our sin. So that God himself rejected Jesus. That's what the darkness is all about. Kids, do you ever wonder that? From the sixth hour until the ninth, that is from noon until three o'clock, the bright part of the day, right? And this is in the ancient Near East, the Middle East, pretty close to Iraq, not quite there, but modern day Israel, Palestine, it's a sunny area, but it became dark as midnight, and why? Because Jesus wasn't just enduring a physical suffering and death. He was enduring the fullness of death, which means God rejecting him. God turning aside from his son. God denying him all the blessings, all the love, all the comfort that he had never been without. That's what our sin deserved. And that's what Jesus took in all of its fullness. 
First Corinthians 5. It says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. He didn't destine us for wrath, but that's what we deserved. So Jesus died for us. Because that was the only way we could avoid it. That was the only way we could be pardoned from it. That was the only way that God could be just and could also justify those who were worthy of death. And Jesus succeeded. He paid what was necessary to pay to deliver us. He paid the whole penalty down to the last bit. And because he did... Romans 8 verse 1 can assure us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because Jesus took all of it upon himself. Nothing remains for us to pay at all. This idea that the Roman Catholic Church has that after death we go to purgatory where we're cleansed from the remainder of our sins and we suffer for that which has Well, that's a denial of all that Jesus came to do. When he died on the cross, just before that, he said, it is finished. Tetelestai. That's a verb, a perfect verb form that means it has been done and its significance is always continuing. It has been complete. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Jesus accomplished what we could not. He endured the absolute divine condemnation of our sin in His flesh, in His body, until it utterly destroyed Him. So that we can live as those for whom justice has been satisfied. My friends, knowing that is essential to our comfort. Our catechism asks why we confess he descended into hell. Understand, Jesus didn't physically go to a location known as hell. But we confess that he entered into the truth and the fullness of hell. In his suffering on the cross and also before. Because that suffering involved all that makes hell, hell. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual suffering, being cut off from God, knowing the fullness of the wrath of God. That's what hell is. And that's what Jesus endured on the cross for us. And we need to know that. Because there will come times of crisis and temptation. Times when we feel worthless. Times when we are tempted to think that God doesn't or couldn't love us. Times when we doubt that God could ever approve of Someone as unworthy as me. And in those times we need to remember this is how much he loved us. He took everything. He didn't hold back at all. He didn't say, well, he can finish the job. No, he took absolutely every bit of it. That's how much he loves us. That's how complete our salvation is. And we are not powerful enough to lose it. We are not powerful enough to do more than he could bear. Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. And now there's nothing left for me to pay. And his death did even more than that. Not only did he pay for us the penalty for sin, his death also freed us from the power of sin, which is the second thing we see here. When Jesus came to save us, our punishment was only part of the picture. We wouldn't have deserved punishment if we had not sinned. However, we were powerless to not sin. Remember what we've learned about the effects 
of Adam's sin. When he sinned, it rendered us guilty, right? Because he was our representative. He was standing and acting for us. But it also rendered us corrupt. Because we are the children of Adam, there never was a time when sin did not rule us. Our default from our earliest moment was to sin, to rebel. And there was never a time when that wasn't true of any of us. Sin enslaved us from the word go. So Jesus came to free us also from that. A reading from Romans 6 explains that beautifully. As long as we live apart from Jesus, we are enslaved to sin just as truly as if we were bound by shackles of steel. That sinful nature holds sway over our complete being. It's literally impossible for the unbeliever to not sin. That doesn't mean that the unbeliever doesn't sometimes do things that seem kind. doesn't mean that the unbeliever doesn't sometimes do things that seem gracious. But they don't do it in a way that is honoring to God because they're not seeking to obey God, right? In the deepest heart of hearts, they're doing it for some ulterior motive because of some advantage to them. It might only be a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it's some advantage to them. Right? And so therefore they're robbing God of the honor they were meant to give him. And they have no choice. Because Adam twisted their nature, they're going to do what is wicked. The only way they can be freed from that is to die. Romans 6 verse 7, one who has died has been set free from sin. That's the only way the, the chains can be broken. So Jesus, acting on our behalf, died for us. And because we're united to Jesus by faith, His death broke our chains. His death freed us from sin. And the implications of that are absolutely immense. If you trust Jesus, if you have faith in Him, then His actions are counted for you. When He endured the punishment of death, it counted as though you were punished. When He endured the wrath of God... It was because of the sins that you committed, and so too the results of his death. Verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In other words, if we believe the promises of our baptism, then his death becomes our death. In God's sight, we died. We endured his wrath. We paid the debt because Jesus did it for us, right? And therefore, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. That's huge. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. By his death, our body of sin was crucified. By his death, we are no longer enslaved to sin. I am free because he died for me. And so verse 8 now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Think about that. We died with Christ. So not only is God's justice against our sin satisfied, but now the power of sin is not binding on us. Sin has no power over us. But we bear the power of Christ to do what's righteous and good. That's amazing. The death he died... He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is for us. He died for me. 
He lives for me. His power dwells within me. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Why not? Because we died to sin. We have the power of Christ. We are able, finally, to say no to sin. That's amazing. But now we need to do it. Ladies, how would you feel? We're coming up on the Christmas season. Most of your husbands are hard to buy for because they won't tell you what they want. So you get creative. You go to his friend at work and you say, what tool does he really want? What tool does he really need that would make his life easier? And he tells you and you quiz him about it. What features should I look for? What brands are out there? You go on the internet, you do your research, you find out which features are important. You look at all the different varieties and brands and and the warranties and all of that stuff. You find the one that you're sure is just the right tool, just the right thing, just the one that's going to make his life better. You wrap it up really nice, he opens it Christmas morning, he oohs and ahs over it. Oh yeah, look at that, look at that feature. Oh, that's just the, the perfect brand, he loves it, right? Great. Job done. He takes it, he puts it back in the box, sets it in the closet, never touches it again. How would you feel? He said he loved it. But clearly he doesn't, right? Otherwise he wouldn't let it collect dust on a shelf. He'd use it. He'd demonstrate his gratitude. But what do we do? When we acknowledge that Jesus has freed us from our sin, when we acknowledge that Jesus has has not only created peace with us for God, but he's given us power over the sin that once held us enslaved. But we do nothing with that. We don't pray for the power to do what is good instead. We don't put up safeguards to keep us from falling into temptation. We don't avoid those places where we were tempted. We don't Use it. Does that show that we're grateful that Jesus went all the way to death to to free us? No, of course not. It shows the exact opposite. So brothers and sisters, we need to use the gift he has given us at the cost of his life. We need to use his gift by resolving to say no to the voice of temptation. We need to use his gift by, by using one another to encourage us. You know, share with your close brother, your, your trusted sister. This is the temptation with which I'm wrestling. Help me to avoid it, right? Holding each other accountable, praying for one another. We need to pray and ask God to give us the strength and the conviction and then believe that he's going to answer that prayer. He wants to, right? He's told us he wants us to turn away from temptation. Won't he answer that prayer? We need to believe that Jesus truly has given us power over that sin. And thereby demonstrate our gratitude that Jesus has won us that victory. And there's one more benefit that Jesus' death obtains for us. It is absolutely wonderful to know that we have peace with God, that his wrath against sin has been paid. It's amazing to know that that we've been freed from the compulsion to sin. But still... We're surrounded by temptations, aren't we? We're surrounded by struggles. As long as we remain here in this fallen world, we endure that struggle to not sin, that struggle to live gratefully, that struggle to endure the consequence of our sin. 
And so Jesus died also to deliver us from the place of sin, which is the last thing we see. Question 42 of our catechism deals with the difference between what we confess and what we see. We confess that Jesus died to save us. We confess that Jesus conquered death for us. We confess that we died in Jesus' death and that we've been joined to his victory. But what do we see? We see that Christians suffer weakness and sickness and sorrow and even death. We see that Christians require hospitals and hospice and wills and cemetery plots. If Jesus died for us, why must we also die? Why is death not obsolete for Christians? And the answer is, it is in the way that we once died. Because death has now been transformed for us. For the unbeliever, death is punishment. In their heart of hearts, they flee from it. They're terrified of it because they know in their heart of hearts that that it is the doorway into the courtroom. That they're going to walk through that doorway and all of the good that they have known, all of the enjoyment they have cherished is gone. Never again to be theirs. All they can expect walking through that doorway is for their every sin and wickedness and ugliness to be unveiled for all to see. And they have to face the wrath that their sin deserves. I'd flee from it too. I'd be terrified of it also. But not so for us. For Christians, death has been transformed. Jesus already endured all the consequence of our sin. And and when he did, as we heard from Luke 23, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Children, do you get what that means? The curtain of the temple separated the holy place from the most holy place. The holy place is where the priests went every day. And they offered incense, which was symbolic of the prayers of God's people. And they maintained the lamp, which demonstrated the presence of God through His Holy Spirit. And they maintained the the table of showbread, which demonstrated how God continually provides for us. But there was a curtain beyond which they could not pass. Behind that curtain was the mercy seat, the place that symbolized the presence of God Himself. Right? They couldn't go in there. They were separated from it by that curtain. Because that's what sin does. It keeps us separated from God. It keeps a wall between us and God. But when Jesus died, when he suffered and died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two. One of the other Gospels tells us from the top, God opened that wall provided entrance for us so that now we can enter into the fullness of God's presence. But only Christians, only for those trusting in Jesus, only those for whom he has paid the price. For us, us, death has been changed. Now, of course, we still physically die. We still live in a broken world. Our bodies still wear out. But as Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain, you see, because for Christians, when we die, we enter fully into the presence of God. We walk through the curtain and enter into the throne room of our Lord. When we die, we go out of this broken, fallen world filled with pain and suffering and sorrow and we walk into the place where every tear is wiped away. 
Into the place where we neither sin nor are tempted to sin. Into the place where we are surrounded by the fullness, by the apex of God's glory and goodness and grace. And we leave behind all of the brokenness, all of the sorrow, all of the struggle and grief. This world is a place of sin, a place of temptation, a place of struggle, a place of consequence. But when we die, we leave all of that behind. What a comfort that is. The criminal on the cross, he knew the misery of his sin intimately. He knew by this point how many people he had hurt, how he had shamed his family. He knew the the cost, the ugliness of having your sins confessed before all the watching society. He knew the, the humility of being hanged naked on a cross to suffer the absolute worst pain the body could endure. Then he turned to Jesus. Putting his faith in him, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. Because as soon as he put his trust in Jesus, all the suffering Jesus was enduring was for that man. And so that very day, instead of going into further punishment... Further wrath deserved for his sin. That that was paid. That was gone. When he took his last breath, he would walk into paradise. Into the glory of the presence of God where he would be received in the loving arms of his Father. That is how Jesus transforms death for those who trust in him. That is the comfort that we have when we face death. And more than that, when Jesus returns... Even that perfection will be further magnified. Revelation 21 says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Beloved, that is waiting for us. When we die, before Jesus comes back, we get to go into heaven. We get to leave behind sin and know the glory of God's presence. But when Jesus returns... He gives us back our bodies, glorified, perfected. He allows us to use all our gifts without any stain of sin, without any fault or failure. And we get to live in a renewed creation without any of the effects of sin forever. Continually learning, growing, developing, building those gifts, serving God, loving Him, knowing Him, learning Him. How amazing. We can't even begin to imagine it. And all of those blessings are the product of the Son of God suffering unto death so that we, God's adopted sons, could know, could live, could enjoy true life. So let's trust Him for it. Let's believe that He accomplished exactly what He set out to accomplish. And let's resolve today to trust Him, to live for Him, And to show him our thanks. Amen. To God be all the glory.
Amen. Let's pray.